Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersina, from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. We are into July. July 9th, the sun is over our head. It looks like it may cloud over a little bit. Gives us a little bit of a reprieve. But the gardens are looking beautiful. And our lawns are lush. This week, as we are venturing forth, school is over. And of course, I have a little extra time for the granddaughters. And as the education rolls, we see that there's a few more ants in the backyard. And it's amazing how one shies away, little girly, the other eager to get her face as close to the climbing little ants and the mystery by why they are all over the peonies. So it's kind of fun to learn and teach the kids too about relationships between a bug and a plant, especially on peonies. The beautiful peonies, I have to say, if you're driving through the city, wow, it is a statement that is truly to be loved. The color combinations, the types, the styles, the fern leaf peonies, the piece of resistance of the family is purely beautiful. So the poem today, of course, is peonies. This morning, the green fists of the peonies are getting ready to break my heart as the sun rises, as the sun strokes them with his old buttery fingers. And they open pools of lace, white and pink, and all day the black ants climb over them, boring their deep and mysterious holes into curls, craving the sweet sap, taking it away to their dark underground cities. And all day, under their shifty wind, as in a dance to a great wedding. The flowers bend their bright bodies, and tip their fragrance to the air, and rise, their red stems holding all that dampness and recklessness, gladly and lightly, and there it is again. Beauty the brave, the exemplary, blazing open, Do you love this world? Do you cherish your humble and silky life? Do you adore the green grass and its terror beneath? Do you also hurry, self-dressed and barefoot, into the garden, and softly exclaiming of their dearness, fill your arms with the white and pink of flowers, with their honeyed heaviness, their lush trembling, their eagerness to be wild and perfect for the moment, before they are nothing. Forever. Let's talk gardening. We're going to go right to the lines. We have Sonia waiting. Good morning, Sonia. Good morning. Good morning. And where are you calling from this morning? I'm calling from Lake Audie. Where is Lake Audie? Lake Audie is uh, 14 miles west of Onanol, and like we're just south of Riding Mountain National Park. Oh, it's beautiful up there. Yes, yes, we love it here. Yes. So, how can we help you today on the lawn and garden? Well, you know what? I have a problem growing cabbage. And whatever, the canola beetles will just eat them, and then they just die. The plants die. So I was wondering what kind of chemical or what kind of insecticide can I use? I know desis uh, works very well, 
but it's a agricultural um, product. Product yeah. and yes, it's not recommended for for gardens. Yeah. Okay. So when you're doing it, you can probably uh, at an early stages to get the beetles away. Um, try some diatomaceous earth that's on there if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, do a little bit of a spray with maybe an ambush at the early stages oh, so that you yeah. can get. Oh, just a moment, please. I turn the radio down. Sure. Yeah. Okay. What was that again? Okay. Diatomaceous can... earth. That, yeah, that, I use that. You use that. Yes, um, but some... I did sprinkle it, and you know what? They, they're still on there. Okay. Uh, so maybe do a. Like, I would hear with the suggestion that's in there. If you do, if you did the diatomaceous earth. Sometimes you can do a spray application of ambush because in the early stages of the development of your cabbage. Okay. And then if you want to get really preventative, grab some row cover. And once you're done, get your row cover that's over, that's hooped over it. It's going to allow the moisture to go through. It's also going to allow sunlight to go through. But new bugs coming to the area, you're not going to be able, you'll eradicate the new entry. Mm-hmm. So with your row cover, you can lift, treat, then put the cover back down. Right. So you may have to do this in a cycle to get them, but with the addition of a row cover on top of it, uh, it is giving you that prevention of new insects coming in. So you're mm-hmm. going to reduce that, okay? Okay, right. Yeah. So row cover right now is probably one of the things, um, you know, my business partner and I, we kind of hash out sort of things of what's happening within the time frame. Because uh-huh. gardening, you can take your calendar and you go, okay, this is the flea beetles. They're coming off the crops or before the crops are going in. Now they're going to head out back to the crops. So we see certain garden aspects of when bugs are coming and uh-huh. what their proactionary measure would be to treat that. So I would probably say do a treatment. And then get some row cover. Row cover to cover it. Row cover, yep. Yeah. Okay? Oh, yeah, because yeah, it's impossible to grow cabbage unless you treat it Well, you or look in, after it. Yeah, you know, um, there's very few things that we can do that put we put into the garden and we can just walk away a little bit. Mind mm-hmm. you, right. um, there's always a, a scenario, right, because in, in some aspects... Um, I just, uh, you know, I'm home a little bit more and I'm gardening when I have my granddaughters there. And uh, I do have one patch of uh, chives that seems to grow everywhere. So that's one thing that self-seeds itself everywhere. But cabbage and our other crops like that, vegetable crops, we do need a maintenance and a um, care factor that's in there for sure. I know, like for garlic, like I always had a problem for growing garlic because the maggots eat the roots. Yeah. And put, so, but I use water, a gallon of water and what, a teaspoon, a tablespoon of rubbing alcohol. Yeah. Depending what strength it is, like I think I use the 70%. And two tablespoons of dish soap. And I oh. treat them about three times. And yes, I otherwise I can't grow garlic and, and onions. You, wow. So what is it? Rubbing alcohol, dish soap, and water. And water, yes. Wow, that's okay. what Dr. Bill Payton from Brandon University when he was um, available for, and that's what he said. Yeah, and uh, it works. So eh? did uh, whatever the previous um, person on Portage, like on your on your garden show, Dwayne. I can't I can't remember his name. Yeah, it was, it was Dwayne Friesen. He's a good yeah, friend. Yes, Dwayne Friesen. Yeah, he yes. was also the one that recommended that. Well, that's perfect. Well, thank you very much for reintroducing that cure. Yes. Okay, okay. thank you very much. And 
I'll try whatever to look after my cabbage. <laughs> well, we want to make sure that you look after that cabbage because I, I, um, I always remember, uh, you know, the little scenarios of it. Uh, the first time I met my husband, he took me out to see his uh, baba in Portage. Oh, yeah. And uh, we spent the day digging potatoes and helping her look at our cabbages. So the cabbage is beautiful because the harvest, just think of all the benefits of good cooking that you make from that cabbage exactly like sauerkraut and yeah we make pierogies out of it and oh. whatever cabbage soup and even like fresh vegetable and yes oh it's you know what awesome i product i even love uh pan fried cabbage with a little bit of caraway seed and a little olive oil oh it's, really okay that sounds good it's very nice very nice, nice. on the barbecue also Oh, that I haven't had. Okay, yeah. we're we're going into a culinary aspect yeah. of cabbage today, guys. <laughs> yeah, just That's... slice it up and and put some butter and salt and pepper and in foil, and barbecue it. It's awesome. In in foil, but not right on the grill. Yeah, no. I, I, well, I do it on foil. Oh and, wow! And usually on a on a fire instead of on the barbecue, like okay. on the on a, a fire pit. Oh yeah. And oh. yeah, it kind of browns and yeah, it's delicious. Oh, I can see it get kind of buttery and golden on there, too, as well. Okay, right. you have me salivating yes. on there. <laughs> okay, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, thank okay. you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. See, this is what I love. We go from the garden, which gives us the beauty of flowers. It gives us the beauty and the peace and the exercise and good health. But think of the yumminess that it gives us, too. Are you are you thinking about cabbage right now? Hey, how many of us are thinking about what we're going to be cooking for supper tonight? We might be grilling cabbage. Good morning, everyone. We're listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal slash gourmet culinary aspect. Who else has some really good recipes for doing food crops of what they want to grow? But right now, we're going to go right back to the lines. Harvey is waiting. Good morning, Harvey. Good morning, Carla. Good morning. And where are you calling from this morning? Uh, Saint Patel. Oh, Saint! You are in our neck of the woods. Yes, we were. Um, uh, we were at your nursery a couple of days ago. Oh well, thank you for visiting. Yep. How, how can we help you? We have a uh, about a seven or eight year old Cotoniester hedge, and it's uh, the uh, stems are breaking off right at the roots, like right at the surface. Um, uh, there's an anthill close by. Um, we're just wondering what might be the cause of that. Um, and then okay. uh, uh, I guess we have to dig them all out. Um, you know, can we plant something back in that soil Okay, right away? Um, so if you're hitting seven to eight feet on your Contoni Aster hedging, yeah, I assume that it's a very old hedge. No, 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 no. They're seven oh. or eight years old. Oh, seven, eight years old. Old. Okay. Yes. yes. Okay. They're about three. They're about three or four feet tall. Okay. So, Katoni Esther, a it could be the relationship between the ant hill or not, but an ant won't cause that demise in the in one season that's on a plant. So, what I want you to do is sort of investigate because sometimes, uh, if the branching is brittle. There could be a few bug aspects that are building on that Cotoniaster. Uh, so I want you to take a look at the bark because on the bark, Cotoniasters are prone to scale diseases 
that's on there. And a scale is actually, um, it makes the bark not as clean as crisp as what the new growth is. It will make it look very bumpy, very um, irregular, kind of grayish with dark tones that are on it. So if you see that, um, it sometimes in some cases, it will be quite thick on certain aspects. Now, on the entire hedge, is it on certain plants or is it on the entire hedge all the way across? It's on the entire hedge the whole way. Um, uh, half the hedge is, uh, it, it's not a long hedge, about um, uh, 10 or 12 feet. Okay. Uh, but uh, half of it is already broken off, uh, you know, right at, right at the surface. At the right of the surface, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, the, the branches just fall over. Okay, so there, yeah. we definitely know. What I'd like to sort of see is if you could bring us, you're nice and close, um, yeah. if you can bring some of the branching in, but please in a clear plastic bag. Okay. It would be interesting to see that bark and see what is causing that's in there. And okay. uh, we could take a look at that to see if that is indefinitely that because scale is hard to uh, treat that's on there. Okay. Um, it's it's one of those ones that it is a, a very hard thing to do. And they it's, kind of take off when we have a little bit of a, a more drier site or a drier aspect. So seeing that we've come through the last two years of a very severe drought, there may be a factor that that played a little bit more of a influence on happening with that, right? Okay. So, is it you, contagious? Like the like the new growth that's coming. There are yeah. some, you know, once they break off, then there then there seems to be some new shoots come, you know, directly from the root. Um, uh, is that scale going to uh, transfer onto that new growth? It will transfer. But what uh, what we can do though is if you, we're going to diagnose this first. I'd like okay. to look at that. And um, my business partner, Ken, he's a really good at that, too, because he has a, um, he's used to be a, a rep for a lot of the product lines that help to treat products of okay. plants. So if we look at it and we diagnose it that it is the scale that's on there, then we can uh, direct you how to do it. But okay. if the old woody stuff that's diseased right away, uh, I would probably more influence to say, okay, if the shrub and the hedging is not looking that great, let's see if we can remedy that because you will get new growth off a ketoniaster. They're hedges. They're like you can grow a, a ketoniaster hedge seven feet high and you can cut it back by half and it will mm-hmm. flush again. Mm-hmm. So if you can remove the brittle dead wood out, if you can see if it's clearly the, the scale factor that's on there, more pruning opens up better aspects for growth it puts more light into the hedge because we know that even uh, doing a maintenance hedge shaped we should be slightly wider at the bottom tapering slightly to top and then giving ourselves a flat top if we want to create a, a proper hedge growth that way the the sunlight gets deeper to the sides of it it opens up more branching so you could get it back to being a thicker hedge but i think first looking at it to see what it is and also to do it, I would also investigate on some of the edges, taking a little bit of a trowel and digging around uh, the areas underneath where you thought if the ants are on one location or if they're completely all the way underneath the entire mm-hmm. row. How okay. long is that row? Uh, it, it's, uh, it's 10 or 12 feet. 10 or 12 feet? Yeah. Yeah. It would be nice to sort of see that too before we go would take further steps. 
that's sure. on there. Because if there is a chance that you can survive and go through, because I've seen hedges that are 15, 20 years old that are overgrown, but if we get hard in there and we take out some of the old wood, we prune it back down, there is a rejuvenation to that. Okay? Sure. Considering it's only seven to eight years old, I think that's the measure that we'd probably go to first. Okay. Okay? Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll bring you a sample. Okay, awesome. Thank you. And Thanks. in a clear, clear plastic bag. <laughs> yep, for sure, for sure. Okay, yeah. awesome. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Okay, yeah. all right. Thank you for calling. So we're starting to see that. And part of gardening, you know, it, I've got my little book in front of me. It's There's so much to talk about. I always think about one thing, and it's like, there's so much to talk about. It's crazy. And just remember, here's another little shout-out. Um, we... It's the time where we need to know that, don't forget, your lilacs are finished. If you haven't pruned, let's get out there and prune it and shape it so that your bud set gets set on the old wood for next year. Okay, mock orange, right now, the mock oranges are looking beautiful. If you're out and about and you see these beautiful white shrubs that could be either three feet tall or some of them even go six to seven feet tall. I have an older variety that's about seven feet tall. And the beauty of that scent of that mock orange in the evening while sitting on the deck is enveloping. It is beautiful. That's, it's, you can't resist that scent. So be careful with your lilacs. Start pruning those. Uh, your mock orange, as soon again, as soon as it's finished flowering, you want to be able to do a little bit of a pruning on it as well. Because it will get woody as well. It has that woodiness that's on it, so you want to be able to maintain it. If you get rid of the dead wood, you're saying, okay, dead wood in some aspects is a dinner bell to say, I'm weakening, I'm dying, or there's something happening. So remove it, clear it. Air circulation works perfect. If you take out that uh, dead branching, it allows more air circulation, better lighting, better vigor. Okay, let's go right back to the lines. We have Hetty uh, waiting. Hi, Hetty. Hi. Hi, how can we? Oh, first of all, where are you calling from? St. Mallow. Say, I know exactly where you are. Good. Good morning. Good morning. I have a problem with my tomato plants, and I've had this for year in, year out. I've moved them to different parts of the garden. Uh, okay. They grow beautifully. They come right now. They're in bloom. There's even some fruit on them. But my, it starts from the bottom of the plant. Uh, it gets this dry. The whole, the bottom leaf just dries, and uh, then it moves on to the next one and the next one. And before I know it, I have nothing but one stalk of. Uh, plant and uh, a little bit of fruit on it and they they just don't spread out the way they should and yet the soil is just beautiful soil yeah okay um some of the tomatoes when you're getting into it if it could be a little bit um you could be getting a little bit of an early blight that's happening on it and some of the blights that we have are usually uh incumbent of temperatures and rain that's in there so it can affect the foliage deeply by the night. You get the modeling effect that's on it. Um, is it, okay, what do the leaves look like? Are they yellowing with black dots? Well, they, they go, you know, a little yellow first, and then it goes dark brown, and uh, that's, and they're dead. Okay, all right. So if you can remove some of the, if, if there's any foliage that's left on it that's unaffected, 
Uh, I would remove some of those leaves that are on there. I've done that now, yes. Okay, and then if you're wanting to go through it, um, don't compost. Try not to compost any of those leaves. Those will go direct to trash, right? Yes. It's on there. So there is a little bit of a copper spray or sulfur spray that, um, that can help with the I can't hear you. You're cutting out for some reason. Oh, copper. Okay, can you hear better. me now? Yeah. You said There's a copper or what copper other spray? Kind of spray? Yeah, copper spray. Uh-huh. I would try putting some of that on it, okay? Okay. And try when you're watering, try and water. Uh, I know it's hard when you say watering aspect when nature itself drops all this moisture on us. Yes. Um, try setting your water regime where you try not to get as much moisture on the foliage. Go direct to ground. Mm-hmm. That's on there. And sometimes, too, uh, we get a lot of splashback from the ground up onto our leaf structures, but also could cause uh, some bacteria that gets up on there that could cause some diseases. So if you get a little bit of... I love using fresh grass, dried grass <coughs> clippings, and I put them around my tomatoes. Oh, I see, yes. Uh-huh. So if you have dried grass clippings, mm-hmm. um, I usually put them in a bucket and let them dry, and I till them a little bit so I get this dry, strawy look that's to mm-hmm. them, and I place it under my tomatoes so that I'm not getting that repeated backsplash from the ground back up on my foliage. Oh, that's interesting, yes. Yeah, okay. It happened for, for well, a number of years now. Every Everybody else has beautiful tomato plants, and mine just, they they start out wonderfully well, and then before I know it, I've got these brown, dried leaves. Yeah, well, try doing that. And you've done uh, crop rotation in the areas, yes, correct? Yes, they are not okay. in the same place. I've, I've moved them. I move them all the time. And it always seems to happen. Okay. Try the watering regime. And like I said, I know that it's hard when it rains naturally. It's, yes. You cannot control that. But let's try with that first, okay? Okay, I'll do that. Okay, thank you for calling, Hetty. Thank you. Have okay. a good day. Bye-bye. Yeah, you too. Enjoy the day, and let's hope that this uh, rain stays away from your tomatoes today. You are listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal, and part of the moisture, like moisture plays a key. We cannot grow our crops without moisture, but sometimes moisture is the problem to a lot of our growth that we don't see. So that is a conversation that could be had. But I want to get as many callers as we can in today. So we have Walter waiting online. Hi, Walter. Good morning. Good morning, Carla. Good morning. And where are you calling from today? I'm calling from Landmark, Manitoba. Well, I know where you are today. I'm I'm getting a lot of uh, pins here on my map here. That's great. Oh, okay. How can we help you this morning? Well, I've got a tremendous amount of ant problems, and I'm wondering what's the best way to get rid of an anthill. Well, there are a few things. I know uh, if my mom's listening, she always likes to use her little borax that she takes out there. Um, I've heard everything from boiling water to um, the borax that's in there. Um, if you have an area of uh, ant traps, uh, you can do, like, how is it in the soil or is it in the garden? Well, interestingly enough, I, I, uh, most of mine are out on the lawn, but yeah. uh, uh, we had the most beautiful rhubarb plant uh, ever anywhere in the neighborhood, I think. And now all of a sudden this spring, smack in the middle of that big rhubarb uh, plant is a big anthill. Yeah, you know what, there's there's quite a few I know that's in there. Um, I, I have some, like, we always speak from experience, and I love 
sharing that. I also have them in my yard. My daughter has them in there. I think maybe it's because there's so much moisture down beneath that they're pushing themselves a little bit further up that's on there. Um, use of ant baits are, are probably, uh, if I mention that, um, just as a prevention for them coming into the house, you can put some ant baits around your house. But um, diatomaceous earth is probably my go-to for doing the ant hills too. It's uh, sort of a earth-friendly type of product that you can place. It's sprinkled on the earth. Um, it's also good for food crops. But if you sprinkle it on the tops of your ant hills around the outer circle of that, they are going to be affected when it binds to their body, like um, their, what do you call it, the exoskeleton or their outer body, because it affects anything that's um, like silverfish, slugs, uh, ants, fleas, you know, even works on bed bugs, of all, you know, of all things. So it dehydrates them. So that probably would be my go-to. Some people use borax, borax or, you know, um, ant baits. If you have uh, um, ambush, you can try ambush, by, but you would have to water that in, whereas the diatomaceous earth would stay as a residual in that soil for a while. Okay. Well, the, the one that you just mentioned, uh, uh, the, um, the one that you shake on to on the, um, yeah, the, the anthill, yeah, uh, and so that when the ants crawl over it, it attaches their body and it takes it down into the hole uh, to uh, d- destroy the queens, I suppose, eh? Some of it, some of the residual, when they're carrying it through, it will, they will eventually take, a, if you have a large amount of them, they're going to be going down there. So they will take some of it down to them, to the bottom, because it's going to be attached to their exoskeleton or to the outer bodies. Yeah. Um, they, you know, it's not like they can, it's not like where mom says, wipe your feet before you get in the house. They don't do that when they're going down in their ant That's right. <laughs> so they're taking a little bit of that with them. So which is... To our benefit, we want them carrying that down there. So it would, um, you know, be more of a detriment to the numbers of their buddies that are down below. So, so, so what is that product called? It's, well, you find it in different brand names, but it is called Diatomaceous Earth. Um, if I spell it right, it is, uh, okay, here, I'm going to try. D-I-A-T-O-M- a C E E A no I don't think there's an A in there E O U S diatomaceous earth that's the product that's the product but you um uh, you may find it in some safer products you may find it in a in another brand that's called Insecola product um, so but as long as it's uh, if you go to a garden center they if you say you're looking for something that it has the diatomaceous earth in it. Uh, they'll be able to take your right to it. Oh, okay. Okay? All right. Thank you very much. Okay. You're very welcome. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. The ants are being quite nasty, I know, and the, as they bring it up, they're bringing up all those mounds that are in there, and they do wreak a little bit of havoc on certain things. But now we're looking at it and we're thinking, okay, they're a detriment to um, our plants, but... Are, plant, are ants really bad? Because when I look at the aspect of what it does with, I guess, going back to the front of the, the show, peonies. There is a correlation between the peonies and the ants. So 
they're building their hills in the grass and in certain areas, but they're not being harmful to the peony plants that are in there. Some people will be calling and saying, I've got ants all over my peonies. What do I do? Well, they're actually have a mutual relationship between these two plants that are on there. The peonies are beautiful. They get super sticky with their nectars, but it's the ants that protects the peonies by actually going up, taking care and loving this beautiful nectar that they're able to get from. But at the same time, they are going to have a feast if you have thrip or aphids that are attached to those plants. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're looking for ladybugs, the good ladybugs that are out there, it's a beneficial bug for our yard. It's just like in some locations, you'll get praying mantises, which are not hardy to our area. You can actually, at some garden centers, get praying mantis that you can hatch in your yard. Uh, It's kind of a cool thing for kids to watch too as well. And these praying baby praying mantises deal with and they feed off of all these non-beneficial bugs that we don't want to make our plants a little bit cleaner, safer, and better growth. So there is that relationship. So is the ant bad in the grass? Yeah, we don't want the anthills. We like that everything to look nice, right? But are we able to share a little bit of the the nectar off of our peonies? For sure. Share a little, right? that's in there. So that's our sort of our, our little tambit or experience that is on with the ants that's on it. Now, one of the things I wanted to also talk to you about is the, uh, there's a lot of people. Yep. And when I say there's a lot of people, it's inquiry. Inquiry minds want to know about gardening. And the other trees that are in bloom right now, that they say they're hydrangea trees. Well, they they look kind of like a um, cone-shaped hydrangea but they're actually a Japanese tree lilac that is in bloom right now or coming into bloom in some people's yards so if you're looking for a tree that is probably uh, a go-to tree we're starting to see that developers in certain uh, areas of the city are actually using them for boulevard trees small ornamental very clean tree very limited diseases easy caring and beautiful And the one unique item that is on it is gently scented. It's not as heavily scented as your French lilacs that you have on there. So gentle scented white blooms after your other lilac trees. So who wouldn't want that? If you love lilacs and you are uh, sort of obsessed with having that scented garden, your French lilacs will bloom early. They will have that beautiful scent and the color with the rich tones of pinks and reds reddish when well, they're reddish they're more of a pinky red and even into some of the lavenders and why not do a pop of color with a small ornamental tree that is in bloom with white yes white in a beautiful garden is beautiful the hydrangeas right now are just starting to pop their crests of their heads are starting to bloom so those two look great i have to mention too have you ever seen and i it's it, just because i've had uh, fun working in the nursery with some of the guys uh, doing some repositioning of some of our nursery shrubs. We had these beautiful flowering almond shrubs. Yes, flowering almond. Everyone is looking at the double flowering plums in their yard saying, what's that? What's that? But maybe it is a double flowering almond. And we have a few left that are here. And would you 
imagine that they must love the spot that they're in because they were had the most glorious blossoms on them and the couple left that are here the blossoms have fallen and you should see the small little pods of almond shaped bud forms that are happening on there truly amazing to see it is now what more is there now if they're looking at it and we're talking about variations and we're looking at when items bloom okay mentioned that lilacs bloom early they bloom late and now also when you're seeing that variations in heights this is sort of my landscape side that's on it trees and shrubs come in variances of heights shrubs come in variances of heights too as well so if you're designing and you're looking at placement of adding additional shrubs to your yard as that anchor focus to additional perennials or annuals you may be diversified with the height aspect of it we know that uh, even with our hydrangeas there's higher ones that will go to three four feet high but what about the ones that go two to three feet high that if you have the deeper beds those deeper border beds that you want something very big at the back but you like that pop of color that's almost mimics the shape but it brings you into the garden softly and then you see the larger shrubs to the back so take a look when you're visiting. It's a beautiful day to get out to your garden center and take a look at the the shapes of some of the flowers, maybe the heights and the variations of some of them. One of the ones that is key to mind is the mock orange right now. I know that I have these big, beautiful, old varieties that go six and seven feet high, but I think I've truly fallen in love with the mock orange snowbell and snow dwarf, which stay three to four feet high. That brings me a little bit closer to the garden because I'm venturing up close and then in the distance I see that same favorite color further at the back it's truly enlightening especially when you're looking at it you're all going to be assessing and walking through your gardens and sort of looking and seeing what there is and this is one thing that is probably the most enjoyable thing to do whether early in the morning or later in the evening I call it the late evening walkabout to see how things are doing, to see what needs treatment. It's just like where Harvey is going through. He's assessed. He's looked at his cotoneaster. That's the perfect point of sort of seeing what can be remedied, what can be done. And this is the point, too, where we know that we've had a lot of excessive moisture. We've had a lot of rain after, again, we know that we went through a season, two seasons of drought that you can look at the areas where you need to correct or to assist. If you have some areas of excessive moisture, you may see it in the lawn by uh, low-lying areas where the the sod is starting to show uh, a decline. Try and move that water. Try and get it to uh, move things away. If you want to get some more air into the area, if it was a low-lying, the swales between two uh, areas of yard, if they're not holding moisture right now, maybe get a little bit of a pitchfork and rock it back and forth to get some holes in there so that some air can get down into that. Uh, if you have extending water, maybe it's time to get a little bit of a trough or a trail that you can cut through gently on some of the sod as making a little V-mark and push it, rock it side to side so you can make the trail so the moisture can leave that's on there. Soil 
or your grass, your lawn, sorry, will remedy. You may have to do a little bit of top dressing that's on there. In gardens themselves, where you can sort of make little furrows to remove some of that moisture away from some plants that are maybe standing in water, that could be a benefit too. It's a good time too, because these are areas. Some plants come under stress when they're under too much moisture. I've done some a little bit of a visits where I've seen some of the Japanese tree lilacs, which do not like to be st- uh, repeatedly watered, uh, move those uh, water hoses away. Shut maybe the if you have a sprinkler system, shut that, those zones off for a while. Let them dry out. Those are all things and tips that can be done to help the plants. Okay, all right. The other things that were going on there, and with too much moisture there becomes a binding factor with our clay soils and if we have clay soils we want to remedy that too and that can be done by using some products see gardening keeps going thank you for listening everyone so many questions so much to learn about gardening we'll be back next weekend on the lawn and garden journal bye-bye everyone